Welcome to another Just Picks podcast show. Returning to our show today is composer, Grammy nominee, Orville Gibson Award winner, Blue Flies frontman, and legendary acoustic alchemy guitarist, Miles Gilderdale. Miles, welcome back to the show. Good. Looking forward to talk some more. Well, before we dig into your, your incredible work with Acoustic Alchemy, let's talk about the Blue Flies a little bit. In, in the context of, of your work with the Blue Flies, first, I want, to, I want to recognize the incredible vocalist that you are. I mean, when I, you are just amazing as a vocalist. How, how does that happen? Does every blues guitar player have to find that voice too? Or where does that come from? Because you are, you've just got so many ways you deliver a song and they're so engaging. Where does that come from? Well, it's incredibly kind. Um, uh, necessity. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it was always the case that there was very hard. Uh, in, in England just doesn't produce singers like America does. You know, we, we listen to American bands in, in uh, the Fab Four were, were an exception, really. The fact that all those guys sang, you know, we, we never turned out bands. That, that was the beauty of you listen to an American band and the harmonies, you know, the doesn't have to be the killer ones like the Beach Boys, but you know, every hit a chorus and boy, well, like I say, the um, uh, well, where do we start? That you just you guys just nail it, and yeah. so we, we just don't really do it. Vocalists are always an afterthought, <laughs> and so it, it was a case of, well, we need a vocalist. Well, we can't find one. Very hard to find a vocalist. I tell you what, you sing until we find a vocalist. That was that was the case for my first, I don't know how many bands. You sing until we find a vocalist. And, and we don't have to pay somebody else. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the, it was always a case of, and it, very now and again, you'd, you'd, you'd bring, we'd find a vocalist or a potential one, and they'd come in and they'd audition. And then, they'd, you know, after the audition, they'd leave and everyone would go, well, what do you think? And they'd go, meh. No, nah, we'll just stick with it. They weren't all that, were they? <laughs> so it, it was just, it, yeah. And so it was that thing where I, I would fill in until we got a, a vocalist. And that's what I did. I filled in until we got a vocalist. And I'm still filling in now <laughs> until we get a vocalist. Well, you guys are fabulous. I love the Blue Flies. And I, I, I always am careful not to listen to you guys while I'm driving on the car because it causes me to speed. <laughs> <laughs> But you, you, you don't just play blues, you cover the whole gamut. So tell us a little about uh, your guitars and your signal chain when you're playing live in that band. Um, so in that band, I, I do use a lot more in the way of um, effects um, uh, uh, and so forth, just, just because it, it's that trio thing and you want to create as much <clears throat> interest, you know, color. Uh, so I, I, I use, um, oh boy, um, well, over so overdrives. There's always an overdrive of some description, um, <clears throat> and I've got through many a different overdrive. But uh, one of the ones uh, uh, I've sort of landed with for a long time now is the one that uh, Scott Henderson uses, um, which is called the RC Booster, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just a, it's just it just it's a bump. It's it, it's not it's not a serious overdrive, um, but I think they're great. Um, and of course, Scott Henson sounds ridiculous with his. So um, you stick an RC booster in front of pretty well any nice amp, and, and it'll help you out. Um, 
and beyond that um just just the the thing uh, delay um i mean i love delay uh again it it uh, stops me over overplaying a little bit just delay you know you, if you've got a nice delay then um you, you can let that chord ring a little bit um and uh let's think yeah bit of chorus bit of face but no i mean i do have a fair the the I'm trying to try and trying to think. Is that long now since I've seen, I've seen my pedal board? Well, you also you must have a wah on that board too, because there's, I assume, you've got a wah on some of the records, right? Say that again. Uh, you have a wah on some of the records, so I assume you have a wah on that pedal, a wah wah. Yeah, yeah. I use. Um, uh, it's actually uh, it, it came out under a bit of a cloud. Did this one? It's the one that Vertex Effects um, mm -hmm. came up with. Vertex from uh, the, again, they're, they're a sort of Bay Area company, um, but it, it it came out under a little bit of a cloud to this because it 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 turned out that they'd absolutely they just cribbed. Um, it wasn't even a customized version. The, the idea was that it was a little tweaked sort of hot rodded version of uh, someone else's wire, and that actually they they just nick this thing and right. and rebadged it but i've got one of those and they do sound nice <laughs> that's bad just like a good lick just nick a good lick that's hilarious but, but what amps are you usually playing on stage and do you monitor from the amp or are you monitoring from uh, a wedge in front of you when you're playing with the blue flies um i monitor from the amp pretty well I, uh, when, when i'm playing electric um now here's the thing so when i'm playing electric <clears throat> i like to hear the sound coming from behind me uh I like it's just a weird thing. I can, you know, have, have all right. Just have a maybe a little bit in 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 the monitors. Just if there's a case of, I just want to hear a little more, touch more definition. But if essentially, I want to feel the weight of the amp behind me. And but when I'm playing acoustic, I absolutely do not want to hear it behind me. I want it in my face. And so at uh, that's completely the opposite. So. When I'm playing acoustic, I want those the, the wedges to sound super high fidelity and and that's the way they go. But it's um, I'm totally uncomfortable if if I've got um, electric guitar coming in, electric guitar in my face at that sort of volume. And, and I've got to say, I have my my acoustics blooming loud, you know, it's really loud in my face. Um, but it's again, perception, bizarre, you know. I'm just completely uncomfortable if it's electric that loud in my face. It's got to be behind me. It's I don't know what it's all about, but there we are. Well, in, in some and I I monitor my acoustic in ear. I don't I don't monitor it even from from the wedge. But I think some of that and and when I listen to your playing, that might be that's how you're getting your dynamic range from your playing and yeah. being able to have that that you can hear the acoustic get softer and softer because that's really key. In fact, so let me kind of transition here. By 97, Acoustic Alchemy, I think, has seven or nine albums, has, has seven albums out by 97, right? Yeah. You, you, you get into that band somewhere around that time, and just around that time is when, when, when Dear Nick gets, gets ill, right? So there's this positive thinking project, and that's a really transitional project for, for the band. Nick is weak, as I understand, he didn't even play on that record. And Steve, Stephen Jones, by the way, who was the first guy I met in, in, in the whole acoustic alchemy family many many years ago back in the 80s 
he he goes from front of house guy to being your engineer on that record. You guys move into a house. John Parsons comes in, plays a lot of steel string, but you're in that ensemble somewhere, right? So you're there. So what was your role on that transitional album and Acoustic Alchemy's uh, uh, kind of history? Well, <laughs> excuse me. I, I joined the band as an electric guitarist. I, uh, I joined in 96 when Nick, as, as, as we all thought, was perfectly healthy. Um, and they, they, they wanted to try. They, 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 they'd released... Um, uh, no heck, what's it called? Arcanum. And uh, on Arcanum, uh, they hadn't used any keyboards. Uh, the, John Parsons had played electric mm -hmm. and they wanted to try touring um, uh, with uh, an electric, which was far more um, a sort of sound palette, uh, just uh, some uh, landscapes, delays, textures, but being able to, you know, when required, to 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 dig in and add some some weight to to grooves and so forth. so just it was a whole it was a different angle. So they, they wanted to try this out because they'd been touring with uh, keyboards for quite a while. Ter Terry Disley, who's a good friend of mine. Yeah. That's right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they thought the idea was let's change it up. So I auditioned for that gig. I I knew the manager Stuart. Uh, um, and he, he just rang me up, said, hey, here's this band I manage. Do you want to come and uh, uh, audition? I said, sure. So I, I learned, you know, four tunes, went off to the audition. And uh, we did Mr. Chow, Homecoming, you know, four tunes. And, uh, and I, I loved the material. I, loved, I thought, wow, this is great. Because, you know, I, I heard Mr. Chow. <clears throat> And I thought, I love these changes. This is very Steely Dan, these changes. Right, right. You know? And Steely Dan, they're just my favorite band of all time, you know. Huh. And, and I, I just adored it. So I thought, God, I want to be in this band. I mean, this isn't, you know. Right. It's not, I wasn't really looking at it as a, a nice paid tour. Um, I thought, no, I want to be in So... Uh, so, but t tell me that that's that's exactly what I was going to ask you. And by the way, if you if you're playing Mr. Chow, you're actually playing the opening because because John played that opening and the Arcanum. To, so that's a big responsibility. But how about the the recording of Positive Thinking? Um, that again, I guess the question I have is: Was did you guys think that was the last thing that Acoustic Alchemy was ever going to do? Because I know Greg wrote the liner notes for uh, Beautiful Game, and. Uh, kind of comments on this, but I want to know what, what you thought it was like recording in that space. Did it look like acoustic alchemy was going to stop at that point? Here's yeah. what I remember. Here's what I remember. I, I want you to answer it, but I, so what I remember is watching that, uh, how do you pronounce it? Arcanum, Arcanum film. Yeah, Arcanum, yeah. Arcanum, right? And the president of GRP saying, we're making a long commitment to this band. I remember that's one of the things he says, you know, sitting on his fan, fabulous. And the next thing I know, acoustic alchemy doesn't even own acousticalchemy.com. Uh, GRP still owns it. They drop you guys on the label because I, I knew Stuart, right? I was kind of talking to Stuart. I'm thinking, this is crazy. What's going to happen here? I mean, what was that like for you? Did, did you just join a band breaking up or what? Yeah, well, <clears throat> for, for, for a minute, it was great because 1996 was a good year. Um, yeah. You know, we were, we were touring all over the shop and we did an Asian tour. Um, it was cool. And then suddenly, then Nick got sick, uh, and <clears throat> and that's 
yeah so so he he got sick we came came off the road and then i guess i'm trying to think exactly how it as 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 a you know as as uh record companies do they say well we need another album uh because arcanum it hadn't been a full album you know that it only had four brand new tracks on it so um nick was ill and then i think i think tom tommy lapuma you know he felt be you know on on a bound to sort of see this um positive thinking through um but already uh, you know they'd the I, someone somewhere had decided that and it might have been right that, that without Nick the band would couldn't go on um and and things were changing that's the other thing you know this was a time of incredible flux in the uh, uh, I remember those uh, being out with um, uh, the guys on on that, those first tours in '96, and I remember Nick coming back from a, a an interview. <clears throat> he was furious, you know. They're just coming back from a radio interview, and this was this is to show you what how things were at the time. This is the state of flux. So uh, he'd gone for an interview he and Greg, and, and Nick had said during the interview, so which cuts from the album are you playing? And then the guy said, well, actually, we're not playing any of the cuts. At which point, um, and, and, and everything suddenly very awkward, you know, and, but this was the point, this was hugely, suddenly, you know, the band, uh, Acoustic Alchemy, which had been the, you know, a massive part of, uh, that that whole um, the scene, you know, it wasn't called smooth jazz yet. Um, it, was the uh, new, it was the new age time, exactly, and it, and it was so sent. You know, this was, you know, the very central of, of, of all that. And suddenly, folks weren't wanting to pay the, play those tunes anymore. Right. Um, you know, just there was just starting to come in the, the idea of, uh, you know, oh, when well, we need a bit more of a single, you know. Uh, this single has this has got a lot of symbols on this single, you know, you know, and we all know what happens then, you know, uh, without naming names. But uh, yeah, well, uh, so, the interesting thing is that that new age music built those stations. It really did. Those stations didn't just become smooth jazz overnight. They had a long history of that of that stuff, which is fabulous. And and, and I probably spent, I probably was with Nick five times, and. Um, yeah, so I can just imagine his take on that. Well, so let me ask you. So now we have this 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 uh, positive thinking record that you're a, more than a session player. You're in the band, but there's this 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 churn going on, right? Then that leads three years down the road to the beautiful game, right? And during that transition, you move to the front line right next to Greg, right? And yeah. and from from the perspective of the audience, the chemistry was instantaneous, right? And although Nick's passing left a huge seat in AA, you know, in, in acoustic alchemy, there was no momentum loss. And as you mentioned, the, the business or the genre was kind of cha changing and you kind of described it. So now how does that transition work for you? I mean, I think there's somewhere it says on the website, you locked yourself away for three months to learn how to play acoustic guitar. I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, uh, 
it was a bit longer. I think it was more like six months, actually. I mean, and 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 I said, I'll give it a go. You know, that was all I said. You know, it was both Greg and Stuart said, look, you know, <clears throat> we want to we want to give this a go. We don't know. If it's, we don't know if this is all going to work out or not, but we'd like to. Everyone still loves the music. That's the point is people love the band. They love the music. They want to hear the music. We love playing the music. We sort of want to keep doing this and we still want to be productive and uh, we want to be artists that we are and artists, you know, you make music and you perform music. So I said, well, give me a go at this. And so I did, I literally just sort of went away and um, yeah, wood, did a lot of wood shedding um, because I'd never tried, never tried to get a good sound out of an acoustic before. And <clears throat> and it took me a lot longer than the six months. I mean, I started, you know, gigging uh, after, and, and the guys were very generous. You know, they said, oh, you know, well done, uh, that will do. But it was a while, see, I, I was, it took me a long time to um, work out how to not uh, hit that string too hard, you know. Uh, that's, I got, because I'd never had, um, uh, formal lessons on guitar. I'm, just, I'm a world of bad habits, you know, just a t I've had formal music training, but uh, as a French horn player, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an orchestral player. So, uh, I, as I say, I'm a world of bad, really bad habits. Um, and yeah, when, when it dawned on me that you could get a far, far more out of the, uh, the guitar, uh, if you, if you're just easier on that string, then, well, you know, what I, what I noticed about your playing, I, I saw you at the Birchmere in D.C. and I think it was August of 2001, which would have been the first U.S. tour that you had moved up front, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I remember just being so impressed with you weren't only doing, you weren't like playing Nick note for note. You were, you, that you owned the music. You really, with deepest respect to him, but you really became the person delivering uh, those melodic lines and, and playing behind Greg in such a way that, again, it was like, this is the direction we're going. And I remember talking to Stuart that night and he said, I think we have a great future. And that's 21, 20 years ago now. And, and look what's happened in 20 years. So yeah. I, I just think you, you were fabulous then and, and you've really made it work. But the other thing I want, want you to comment on, just before all that happened, you know, there was Terry on keyboards and Dennis on bass and John on drums and John and Parsons occasionally electric and you electric and so on. And it was kind of like this duet being supported by the band. But one of the things that Miles Gilderdale and I guess the way the music changed was the band became a stronger band. And that's no 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 uh, diminishing of Nick in, in any way. It just what happened. And now with Fred and the Granger brothers and so on. You guys are an incredible band. Now, do you notice that from inside the band or is that just something I'm making up? No, no, I mean, that, that was the intention. Um, um, I, uh, and because of my, my sort of career as, as a musician prior to Acoustic Alchemy, um, uh, be, you know, I've, I've just been in a, a ton of bands and I, I, I just thought, I just, always saw the potential in Acoustic Alchemy to be more of a band rather than a duo. I mean, the, again, it was, a, it was partly a way of um, moving on fr from Nick because the, um, 
because it was alchemy as it started was Nick and Greg, you know, that, that was the deal. And with Nick gone, um, Greg never ever just wanted to be a solo artist, you know, he's a, Greg, Greg's a, he's a serious team player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just, uh, just, just from my experience as a musician, I, I just saw the, the potential for the, for the band to be, <clears throat> to, to, to pull on all, all of its resources um, and yeah, become, yeah, uh, the sum of all those parts. And, and, it, and it really, it really translates. And, and I have to tell you, the last time I saw you guys was a couple years ago uh, in Ohio. And uh, I was sitting next to people who had never heard you before, <laughs> you know, and I love that because it's kind of, it, for me, it's like, a, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, I pretend like I've never heard of you guys too sometimes. <laughs> And string up these conversations with people and I say things like yeah they just started a month ago or <laughs> just to see where it goes oh you have no idea how bad I am and then I later confess but oh uh, you guys were just great and I, I I just remember thinking what a band but again the thing I want to ask you about is composition um, as a composer because a lot of people don't realize how much you compose first of all people think music just happens and composition isn't that way it's a real struggle for people sometimes but you seem to have really fit in so talk about the composition again you can talk you know you and greg together however you want to say but what i'm really interested in is miles as a composer what what does that mean to you um well it's what i uh, it's probably what i love doing more than anything else really um uh, I've always, I've always come up with tunes. Um, even from I, I can remember being a very, a very tiny kid, walking around the garden all by myself, um, singing tunes that I just thought of, um, and that's how Mum knew that I was musical because she heard, she heard me walking around the garden singing tunes, um, and so I've always, yeah, it, it's strange that. It, 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 because you do the, you sort of don't question it. Um, you think, uh, you know, you don't think, oh, well, I'm not qualified to write a tune. Um, it, it's, it's just, um, I'm going to do it. Uh, and yeah, and so you do. Uh, but like, like you say, the, the, the next bit's the heart bit. And so what we'll do, both Greg and I, you know, we, we'll, it's never ever a whole tune that you you find you it's it'll be a a hook or some harmonies or a melody or just a little vamp or something and you think this has got something what do you think and uh and hopefully the other guy will say yeah i think it has got something occasionally go yeah i'm not really feeling that you know <laughs> do you, are you sure about that it sounds a bit ordinary to me um and 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 then, so we might have to convince each other a bit more, uh, but that tends to be the way we do stuff. And so, and then sort of work a relay on things. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that's how we generally do stuff. You know, we we get in a room together, play play each other our sort of starting points, and then just. Think, well that's the easy part that's the starting point now we've got to make it into a tune um, and that's when the that's when the hard work starts 
t tell me about um, your involvement in, in, in Broken Sword. I mean, what was that like? Um, that was nice. Um, a, 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 a guy, it was again one of those nice sort of mutual acquaintance things. Um, uh, just put he, he he put me in touch with the, the guys uh, at Broken Sword because um, they were they were just they wanted two sort of specific uh, uh, sort of seventies sort of tunes written for this game. They wanted it, them to sound like. 70s rock and uh the guy that i i uh, the mutual friend mark um said oh uh you know he, he's known me all my career uh and he, he's he's done very well he's he's more in the sort of software business now and uh he just put us together and he said that you you should check miles out and uh and so they did and uh and they just gave me a a, a pretty well uh a, an open brief they said we want it's about a girl called Jasmine. Um, make sure it sounds plenty seventies, and uh, we'll be very happy. And so, uh, and I was I was happy to happy to be seventies there. I, I, yeah, I was just I think it sold over six million units, which is incredible. Yeah, good for you. Well, I, I don't want I'm not going to type the whole afternoon. I've got a few more questions, but this I hope this is. Fun for you. I want let's geek out a little bit on on your on your rig with acoustic alchemy. Um, talk us through your signal chain for the electric and your signal chain for the acoustic, and what kind of acoustic guitars and electric guitars are you playing? So um, I tend to use um, well, I've used the same so-called acoustic guitar now for um, many years, ten maybe even at least ten years. I've used this Line Six. Um, uh, and I want to call it, is it a 900 series? They're, it's, they, they only ever made this guitar as a, a prototype. And the word is that they made, I think, a, a total of 50. And, and Line 6, and, and it, was, it was a premium version of their regular Variax. Um, the idea was that it was, but it was going to be, the beast so um i've got it right here this is the beast yeah your so, camera's not so i can't see it so oh is it not there you can't see it well anyway i'm holding it they got i believe they got the they got the fujigen factory to to make this guitar so you know and it's premium woods uh so it's Ebony, there are no holes barred with the, 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 the making of this thing. And uh, the trouble was, it, it was to, when they realized that they made, you know, they, they made the prototype, it was just going to be way too expensive for their sort of, their price, you know, their price point. You know, they, they looked at their market, line six, they decided that young kids, we're never going to buy this. Um, Pros were probably never going to buy it. It was they just they sort of completely missed somehow. So I became the very lucky recipient of one. I know they gave one to James Taylor, um, and uh, yeah, I think just some lucky people were given them uh, by the Line Six guys, and I love it. It's uh, um, I've done a mod on it, 
uh, where I put an extra Mac pickup in it. Um, so it's not just the under saddle. There's a lot of electronics in it. So it's got a, it's got a, a, a piezo bridge, you know, it's a, it's a hex system, you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on in, in terms of processing inside the, the beast. Um, but I, I, I always felt that uh, it still had that, um, I could never get away from that, the, the, the thing that you get with a, um, a piezo. So I put a mag in to blend, to blend that. And, and I'm, that, that sort of done it for me. And it plays, it plays beautifully, never feeds back, um, which of course for, for anyone trying to make an acoustic noise, you know that's just the the enemy of the acoustic is you know but playing a loud acoustic is a contradiction in terms isn't it oh, that that's why i monitor in ear yeah what what's what what are your pedals you play through a pedal board at all with the acoustic yeah so for for the acoustic i i, I use actually it's a very old um uh line six setup it's called a pod x3 live it's a very old board now um they've superseded it several times but the reason I use it is because it's got two inputs, and you can, I can, uh, I can process each pickup in, individually. So I can EQ, um, uh, compress. I completely each pickup can be and then blended. Mm -hmm. So so I've got uh, it's a bit it's properly geeky, you know, but it means that um, I can get that control over it. And uh, and I'm happy with it. I could, I could probably, there might there'll be something on the market now, but I just can't. I can't be bothered. It works, so I'm gonna, you know, I've had it. You know, this is probably about the fifth one of these I've had because you know we've been ripped off and and they've broken and stuff. But each time I just keep, I just find another. I, I backed it all up to a little thumb drive and and uh, I get a new one. And I and I dump the thumb drive onto it, and there it is. It's my my little my settings are all there. All there. All that's I love. You know, I I talk occasionally to James Stewart's son, yeah, and ask him how to, how to keep you guys happy. We have a good chuckle all the time. So I can imagine him trying to keep the the one of a kind uh, a line six guitar and so on. Oh my golly! Yeah, you know, it's just I I worry about that kind of stuff touring because you know if anything goes wrong you've got to be in towns where people know how to keep things working and all that kind of stuff I, I've seen it happen it's fabulous well let me ask you about um uh the plectrum as you guys call them in England is that a big deal for you I mean do you think about it at all or do you play these boutique picks like we have over here what do you do yeah well for a, again for a, for many years I sort of had my favorite uh, you know I'd sort of gravitate towards just um, over the years, I, I, I liked uh, old-fashioned celly, celly picks, you know, cellulose-type picks, um, and I got, you know, when I was young, I used to use a medium, and then I got into heavy. The, the, what used to keep me from playing the heavy pick was that I would then start breaking my guitar strings, because <laughs> when I was young and young and full of energy, I'd be flailing on that thing and just tearing the strings off. So I, I thought uh, I'd, ne I'd never wanted to move beyond a medium after a while. But when I'd started getting a little bit more finesse, I moved on to a heavier, heavier picks. 
And about four, five years ago, I got onto these, which um, a friend of mine, well, actually it's a friend of mine. I call him a friend, but it was just an acquaintance um, who, who I just sort of met him at a gig. And he says, he just gave me one. He said, here, you want to try these? I've been, um, I've been doing a bit of pick research, he says, and I think these are really good. Here, try one of these. So I said, okay. And it's called um, an Altex Jazz 3. Okay. XL series Altex Jazz 3. And it's a pretty heavy pick. And I've got to say, I think it's just the bomb. Mm -hmm. I've, I mean, I. I I've, Is it 1.4, 1.5, 2.0? Do you have any idea of the thickness? I'm just looking to see if there's any sort of size. I have to look it up. Yeah, I think it looks about one mil. Okay, so it's one mil. Well, the reason why I ask is one of the things we talk about in terms of plectrum use is that as you go up in the thickness of the plectrum, your hand becomes like a compressor. Your hand has got to back away because, as you mentioned, when you, yeah. when you you're going to tear the strings off, as you said. So you actually begin to develop a very sophisticated right-hand technique as you go up in pick thickness, which is why a lot of the jazz players play 2.0 and above. Did that happen to you as you as you grab as you graduated to to thicker picks? Yeah, I mean it's it, again because I'm sort of sometimes I've got a strum, uh, you know. Obviously, I'm I'm always between I'm. I'm either playing the melody um, and Greg's accompanying or vice versa. And so if I'm, if it's a strummy part and not, not so much a, a, a claw picky thing, then I've got to, I can't go so heavy that um, it, it would be really tricky, you know, um, to sort because you um, ideally, you know, for instance, when I'm recording uh, a, an acoustic, I have the floppiest, floppiest, uh, uh, you know, I'll use a, a, a Jim Dunlop nylon floppy thing. It's about 0.48 or so. I forget what it is, but it's it's horrendous. But that thing, it's perfect for when you're doing strums. You know, it just, it gives you that nice percussion. It doesn't, it, it, obviously you don't want to be pulling the strings out of tune. That's a huge, but tuning is such a big bug for me all the time so much that busy if you're hitting the strings you go down all that stuff going on you've got to be so careful with that um so in terms of um the for me the limits are i can't really go much heavier than and I, actually i don't think i want to go much heavier than that i think this is a lovely pick um for, for the matter come back to me in two years and i'll when I'm playing a three millimeter pick and. Well, let, let, me, let me change uh, a little subjects, but I really am interested in your reaction to this. So tell me about the Grammy nomination for AR. What was that like for you? Oh, that was a thrill, um, a, a real thrill. Um, uh, obviously, Greg was, he's an old hand, you know, he'd already had two, two Grammy nominations by that point. But uh, it was, it felt great because again, we were, just trying trying to push ourselves forward you know post post nick you know trying to get our identity together 
and the idea that you know we, we could still keep moving forward as a, a creative force and so uh, the, the fact that we got that uh, was a real uh, uh, it was a it was kudos you know it felt lovely and and at the same time we got the uh, um, the award from Gibson Guitars you know I remember that yeah what was that like oh that was a total thrill you know that we were there at the uh, in LA um, <clears throat> and Greg and I they just said we didn't know we were going to get the award they said come and perform at the Gibson um, uh, you know Gibson they've got the Gibson Guitars awards going on will you perform you know so Greg yeah we were there Greg and I were there and said here here play this Gibson so I played a Gibson and and we, we played uh, Ariane and uh, uh, <laughs> we finished and everyone clapped and about two minutes later they're giving us an award you know <laughs> here you are for Gibson Gibson Jazz Guitarist of the Year yeah so that was nice yeah I just love that. That's a great story. I think I remember seeing that video. <laughs> I thought there was a little element of surprise. That's even a better story than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we have no idea. We were just, yeah. It was a nice thing to, nice thing to do, you know. Right. Yeah. Of course we'll go play for the Gibson Awards. Yeah. Well deserved. So random question I ask every, every um, guest on the show. Name two Beatles songs. Uh, one though has got to be you're attracted to it because of the guitar in it. So two Beatles songs that stand out for you and one at least that is a, a guitar favorite of yours. Well, I've got to say, even though <clears throat> it, it, it's, I've got to say Get Back, mm. even though because uh, it's not one of the greatest <laughs> Beatles tunes, but it was the first record I ever bought. Mm. I bought Get Back by the Beatles um, and it was just a, rocking 12 bar as we all know um and because it was the first record i ever bought I, that lovely sort of again that vocal guitar do you remember if so all that mid you know there was no there was no it was just a lovely round vocal sound which i uh, loved you know uh, her, i think they were into their woman tone, weren't they? Harrison and 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 Eric at that, that time, you know, so probably because they were fighting over the same woman. Yeah. Uh, but it was that it's that woman tone thing. It was uh, 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 the neck pickup thing. But I remember hearing that, thinking, "Man, that's cool." So I would say that I've. Um, apart from that. Ah, just so many. I mean, day tripper. I mean, just I could I just get excited. Think about these things. I feel fine. I feel fine. I mean, boom. That the fact that he actually played that. You know, that was on that Epiphone One Hundred and Sixty. You know, yeah. No, and and you don't realise that because you you think it's an electric or a, a, or, a, a or a a Gibson, but in fact. That was a those epiphones. They were in a in a lot of ways they they sort of behaved like a jazz box because it was a ply. It wasn't a premium guitar. It was a ply box, right. and so it behaved very much like a jazz box with a and it had that single coil pickup right at the end of, of the fretboard. Right, and, and and it gave that thing 
a very unique sound, you know, they put through a put it through an amp. And I think the way I always heard it is that they would also put um, a mic on the front of it. Mm-hmm. But a big part of that sound was that they, they, you know, they put it through an AC30 and, and just the opening for I Feel Fine being played on that thing. Man, it just does it for me. Oh, I love it. You know, we, we were, we, I was in a discussion last week. We've been trying to figure out how Lennon got the tone for Dear Prudence. And I'm speculating that was a 160 into a Fender Twin. I mean, do you know any background to that? I don't. I don't know. A really unique tone. Yeah. And I don't think Jeff Emmerich was there. I think that was, um, oh gosh, I'm, I forget who it was, uh, Tom Scott or someone was, was in the studio at that time. So I don't know how they did it, but it doesn't sound to me like one of his Epiphones. It sounds like a 160 with that magnetic pickup, you know, right there at fret 21 or whatever that would be going in because they had twins on that record. Everything was twinned. And it just, that's what it sounded like to me. I don't know. Well, anyways, let me ask, so let me ask you about, as, as we kind of wrap up here. And again, I can't thank you enough. I hope you've had a good time in this quite conversation. A, quite a blast, man. And it's just, you guys have really maintained a family and the audience recognizes that. And I know you, I know you guys sense that from the stage. You're always there after the show to talk to everybody. That, that just doesn't that just doesn't happen. You guys really are the complete package. And I guess when you signed on, you kind of knew that's what you were getting into, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, <clears throat> coming in um, as, it, as it were from, from, you know, cold and not knowing, not knowing until I, I, my first gig with a band was in Mexico City. And, and so that, the whole idea of going to sign after after the gig, you know, it was, oh, blimey, you know, this is proper like like a real band you know but then it it didn't take like i mean obviously it didn't take long to realize uh, the devotion of, of the of the of the crowds you know there that, that was the first time i think the band had played in mexico you know um and he and i remember you know i think nick was as surprised as anyone else that you got people who've been waiting years and years and years to see the band, you know, they lived in Mexico, they didn't come up to the States. And, you know, these, these it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And, and we get it everywhere in the world. You, you will get, folks will make the effort. And, and it's just, um, I mean, I've, it's, it sounds like, yeah. It's, it's slightly not English to say this. <laughs> it's, but it, it really is. Uh, it makes you genuinely, uh, it sounds tired to say this, you're humbled, you know. But the people love it. I mean, that's that, that and, and that's what's great for us because we bloody love it. Yeah. You know, we love it. They love it. There we go. That's, that, that's good enough. You know? <laughs> you know. You've been listening to my conversation with England's Miles Gilderdale. Miles is known worldwide for his work in acoustic alchemy. I want to thank Miles for his time and energy for this conversation, and I look forward to talking to him again at some point, hopefully with his partner, Greg Carmichael. I want to thank you for listening to the Just Picks podcast.